0: going to uh, continue to worship Jesus uh, by looking at him in his word. Um, one of the, the amazing things that I think Rich drove home really well is that every section of our service together, of our family time together is worship to Jesus, not just the songs we sing, not just the prayers we sing, not just the word preached. But everything, even as we greet one another, we want to do all of those things as unto the Lord Jesus, as worship to Jesus, even our giving. I mean, everything is about worshiping Jesus. And so we want to continue to worship him now through his word. Last week, we we started in in a new place, uh, a new kind of three-week series. Where Remember, I talked about how our goal as a church is to display the greatness of Jesus in the everyday lives of his people. And so last week, we talked about, what, what what did we talk about last week? Y'all look a little sleepy, so I just want to make sure you're awake. Oh, work, good. Somebody was here and they was listening. Praise God. And what any somebody give me a single nugget that they took home? Like what what was something that we talked about last week as we talked about work in the everyday lives of God's people? Jesus is our boss. Who else said something? Over here. Yeah, posture of our hearts. Yeah. Not so much the position we hold, but the posture of our hearts. That was a better way to word that. I should have said it like that. Not just the position we hold, but the posture of our hearts. Somebody take that down for me. I need to remember that. Uh, that, And this week we're going to talk about similarly, uh, because sometimes what we have a difficult time doing is we know that God is sovereign and God is in control of everything. But sometimes we have a hard time figuring out how that sovereignty, how that control, how that power makes its way into every area, including our work. And this week we're going to talk about music. So sometimes when we think about music, we think, okay, yes, I sing songs at church, and then I I listen to music, and I can't really figure out how I honor Jesus in that, or I never really think about it that much. But we know from Scripture, we're not supposed to honor Jesus in one or two areas of our lives. But Scripture says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of Jesus. So if you're supposed to glorify Jesus while you're eating bacon in the morning, then, of course, we can find a way somebody praising God for bacon. Um, it's a reason to praise God. He is good. Uh, but even music. So, so let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to start. Father, we pray uh, that you would give us grace now as we look to your word. Father, and we want to look to your word uh, as a means of showing us who you are, what you're like. Not only that, but who we are and how we're supposed to respond to you, Father. We pray that Christ would be lifted up in every passage that's read, Father. Pray you give me grace, Father, that your strength uh, would show itself in the midst of my weakness. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. One difference about the sermon today. Usually we uh, pick a particular text and we walk through that text and we look at what God says in that particular text. This this week, we're going to look at this topic of music and we're going to look at what passages say all throughout. All right, so We're going to look at a number of passages and the, and the main point that I want to make is that if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus and if we're going to point people to Jesus, then music must be a part of our strategy. So if we see that as what God has called us to, to faithfully follow Jesus and to tell other people to follow Jesus, music has to be a part of that. Because what we see clearly in Scripture is to ignore music is to accept unfaithfulness. Right? When it comes to following Jesus, helping others to follow Jesus, to ignore music is to accept unfaithfulness because by God's design, music is part of what it means to be faithful to him. By God's design, the beauty of music, that gift he's given us, serves to point to the beauty of God himself. All right, now I want to just start by telling you a story as we think about music and its, and its role in our lives. I know I started with a story about my son last week, but I like him. He's around a lot, so it makes me think of stuff, okay? So uh, last year, I watched Lion King for the first time with my son, Q. Now, Lion King, now I would already seen it. Lion King was one of my favorite movies uh, when I was a kid, uh, and I wanted to watch it with my son. He loves animals. He loves Disney, all of that. So we're sitting there, we're watching Lion King. It's going good. And he's asking me, you know, he has seen the animals, he's loving them. He's like, Daddy, what's that? I'm like, that's a lion. Daddy, what's that? I don't know what that is. But I don't know what Timon or Pumba is, but then they're funny. And so the movie's going on. And one thing I didn't remember is that Lion King's a little darker than I remembered it as a kid. There's a lot of attempted murders in this movie, like many of them. You know, they're trying to get Simba and Scar set. They don't try to do it subtly either. It's like, track him down and kill him. Like. And so there's that one scene and, you know, Mufasa falls and the, he gets trampled. And I'm holding my breath and I'm looking at my son trying to make sure he's not getting traumatized. And I'm looking at him. He's like, Daddy, Lion King's sleeping. It's like, hmm sleeping forever. <laughs> it's a dark movie. But he still liked it. He loved the movie. He wasn't traumatized by death, so it did bring some conversations about death to happen quicker than I expected him, but he's fine. But one of the things is, he loves this movie, but if you just try to recite some lines with him, I mean, he may not really get into it that much. He may a little bit, but if you play the Lion King soundtrack, if you play the music, I mean, from the very first, and ah, when from the first time that starts, <laughs> my son just goes into Lion King mode. And he gets on all fours, and he starts to growl like a lion. He wants to reenact some of the scenes. And as you play the soundtrack, like half of the songs are, don't even have words. It's just the score. And my son hears it, and he tells me what's happening in the movie during that particular time. And here's the thing. He loves it so much, but there's something very unique about the music. And that movie, that takes him right back there. Something unique about the music that jogs his memory. There's this automatic wonder that happens. Music captures something very unique. My son isn't the only kid who loves music. All kids really like music. And it captures our hearts at a young age. And it makes me ask this question, what is this very strange, beautiful, wonderful noise that does capture all of our hearts even at a young age? Music is this incredible gift gift from God, and he's given it to us as one of the ways we've been called to be faithful to him. Music is one of those things where when you try to define it, it gets really weird really quick because it is hard to define. But music is these tones and, and rhythms and time, and they connect with us in a way that nothing else does. Nothing else connects with us in the same way. I always loved music from a really young age. My dad did, and I would listen to it all the time. Nonstop when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm riding to school, sometimes when I'm in class, snuck a little earbud in there. Got in trouble for that more than a few times. Music just captured my heart at a really young age, captured my heart at a really young age. And I'm sure it's similar for all of us. When music really captured us, I may have been a little more obsessed than your average person, but I want you to think about what was your journey like with music? Or even what was your favorite song when you were a kid? I was talking to a 50-year-old friend of mine recently, and he told me uh, that he his daughter asked him what kind of songs he sung when he was a kid. And he remembered word for word a song that he hadn't sang since he was eight years old. Because there's a way that music calls things back to memory. We can recall things word for word because we love it and we enjoy it. And so, again, you may not love music as much as I do, but it's a big part of all of our lives. It plays in the background of movies. It plays during six-second Vine videos. It plays at stores when you're at the mall. It plays during news reports. We play it when we watch the dishes and ride in our cars. It carries get-togethers and parties. Music is, and There are these huge gatherings called concerts where people come just in order to hear music, sometimes music that they've heard hundreds of times already. They just want to hear it again in a bigger room with more people because we love music. There's some special experience. Even as God's people gather on a day like this, we've spent most of our time so far singing songs. Our culture and our world is obsessed with music, and it's a good thing. It's not a mistake. It's not a random human innovation that we would use music so much, including to worship God. It's one of the reasons he gave it to us. And so this is why Scripture often commands us, To sing, the psalms say, we're to sing to the Lord a new song. We're commanded to use music in our worship of God. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. Sing to the Lord a new song. We have the book of Psalms that's full of songs. There's songs in the five books of Moses and the other narratives. There's the song of Solomon. There's the songs that are sung in Revelation in the end days. So we often imagine that God has called us to pray and to evangelize. And that's the only thing he ever tells us to do. But there are so many commands to sing. And these verses are not just up for worship leaders. They're not just for artists. These are for all of us. All of us are called to sing a song to Jesus. So we cannot overlook this if we want to follow Jesus. I mean, what other commands in scripture would we assume are just for a certain little sect of people? No, these commands to sing are for all of us. Now, there are some of you who, when I sit next to you, sometimes I wish you wouldn't sing as much, but God has commanded you to. It's a good thing. Praise God for you. God made you tone deaf for a reason that I don't know. But he knows. And he still commanded you to sing. And this is an important thing to all of us. We live in this world where uh, so many people are unimpressed by God, disinterested in God. We ourselves often find ourselves unimpressed with God and disinterested in God, right? We don't love the things that he loves. So if we're going to follow Jesus with all of our hearts, if we want others to follow Jesus, we have to use every single tool at our disposal. Everything that God has given us in music is one of those things. And I want to just, for a second, what does it tell us about God that art would be so close to his heart and important to following him? that he would choose a particular kind of art that's commanded to worship him. I think, for one, it tells us he's not the boring chemistry professor that we thought he was, right? That God is not this boring God who doesn't care about anything beautiful and artistic. In fact, God created beauty. He created artists, and he's commanded us to use particular kinds of artistry in the worship of him. So again, you cannot be faithful to God without music. So we should think about how to use it well. So what I want to do is I want to look at some of the major ways Scripture commands us to use music to honor God. Just to be clear, this isn't every way one could possibly use music. This isn't every use of music. These are what I think are the main ways Scripture talks about our use of music and how we can use it for his glory. And as we talk about this, I I just want you to think about. The the role music plays in your daily life, how often you listen to it, how often you sing with others, all of that, and then think about how to incorporate these things. So, number one, we can use music to celebrate God and his works. Use music to celebrate God and to celebrate his works. I'm starting with this one because this is the most common use of music that we see. In Scripture, praising God, celebrating God, or celebrating something that God has done. Psalm 149 that I already quoted, is so clearly about this. It says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the Godly. It's saying sing, and specifically sing in a way that praises God. Use music to praise God, and that's something that I've sought to do even as an artist myself, but... My journey there was interesting because even though I always loved music, I didn't always love praising God. So I would go to church with my family growing up, and it was okay, but it didn't really move me. You know, they were doing what church music does, and people seemed really excited, and people were clapping, and people were shouting, and I was like, I don't get it. This isn't really my kind of music. And yet I would go home, and I would listen to music over and over and over again. And when I thought back to why I didn't like what was happening... What what I've thought about really clearly is why my eyes would glaze over and why I would be so disinterested. I don't think my problem was that I didn't like praise songs. I think my problem was I didn't care much about who they were praising, that God hadn't captured my attention yet. So I saw absolutely no value in singing songs of praise to him. I would much rather have sung songs and to praise to the things that did capture my heart. Because in one sense, most of the music that we hear and that we sing and that plays on the radio is praise music, right? It's in praise and celebration of things that we love. Here's one example. One of the big songs on hip-hop radio a year or two ago now was a song called Coco. The repeated refrain of this song, this is is how the song went, the hook. It said, I'm in love with the Coco." Then it said, I'm in love with the coca. I got it for the Lola. What's it What's next? Oh, yeah. I'm in love with the coca. Over and over and over again. That's a praise song. Now that's about cocaine, so that's problematic, but that's a praise song. That's what we do. Music is a really natural way that we use to praise the things that we love. Even some of the greatest songs of all time that we think of Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely? That's a praise song. Right, his daughter has been born, and and she's beautiful, and he's celebrating that. Right, isn't she lovely? That's what we naturally do. These songs flow out of a real love for the thing that we're praised. We're wired to celebrate things through song. Some of y'all might even just get some lunch, and you just feel inspired to just make up a song on the spot. This happens. I've been around some of y'all. I love this piece so much right now. And we just, that's what we do. It's very natural. It's a very natural thing. And so music allows us to praise beautiful things in beautiful ways. That's a gift from God. That we don't have to praise things that we see as beautiful and as a gift and that are enjoyable and boring ways. We can do it in a beautiful way. And most importantly, we can praise God himself, who's the very definition of beauty. And one of my favorite examples of this in Scripture is in Exodus 15. At the point in Exodus 15, and you can turn there. At at this point in Exodus 15, uh, Israel was enslaved. God's people were enslaved, and God had just delivered them. Right. So Pharaoh feels forced to let them go, but then he changes his mind, and he goes after them. So they're going they're going. Pharaoh's starting to come after them and his whole army. And then they come up to the sea, and now they're freaking out because it seems like they're blocked in. they like, man, we never should have left. And then God, in this crazy, miraculous act, splits the Red Sea. This is an actual sea that they couldn't get through. They were going to get caught. And they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. There's a wall of sea on the left side and a wall of sea on the right side. And they walk through it in this miraculous act. And then Pharaoh tries to go after them and the sea crashes on them. And God delivers them in miraculous fashion, like nothing they had ever seen before. And how do they respond after this miraculous act of God? I'm going to read Exodus 15. Starting at verse 1, and it's a big chunk, so stick with me. I'm going to read through about verse 12. Exodus 15, verse 1 through verse 12. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. Listen to the poetic way he talks about him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Talks about what God did, verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Skip to verse 11. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. And they go on and on and on, singing this song of praise to the God who just delivered them. Now, I think it's worth paying attention to that this is the way that they chose to praise God after such an amazing act. They don't stop and meditate. They don't just talk it over. They don't have a small group. They don't merely shout out the same words. They have this little concert and praise session because their God has shown up in power and he deserves praise. So here we see something about the uniqueness of music and why God would give it such an important role to play because there's something different about singing it in rhythm and with a melody than just saying words. It gives something extra to it. Right? Songs are better at expressing our joy. They're better at expressing our love. So when the Israelites were delivered in such a glorious way, they needed something more than mere spoken words to express the kind of joy and awe they felt at what God had just done. What songs do is they help us to engage more than just with our mind, but also with our emotions. Songs are soaring and they're grand so that you don't just say, God is really strong. You say, the Lord is a man of war, right? You don't just say, he got us through. You say, the deep's congealed, and you talk about the the sea as a wall, right? So, of course, it honors God when we talk about him and we pray to him. But this is an amazing extra tool that God has given us to praise him. And they used it. So I want to ask, what about you? When, When you sit in a service like this and we praise God? Are you praising him based on his works? Or do you get disinterested and do your eyes glaze over like mine did when I was a kid? There are times when all of us find ourselves feeling kind of bored and disinterested in God. But I want to ask you this. Can you imagine somebody after what had just happened at the Red Sea acting bored and disinterested? Like if everybody is over here praising, jumping around, singing to God, it's one dude just doing the worm in the dust. (laughs) And it's one dude over here, you know, just chilling looking at Twitter, disinterested? You know, what would you do if you saw him after this had happened? You'd probably go up and like, bro, did you see what happened? There was a sea, and then it was just like a road. I don't know, if that's never happened to me before. Has that happened to you before? Right, you would you would try to snap him out of it. Like, I don't know if you saw the miraculous way that God just saved us. Yet we often find ourselves doing just that. And it happens because we lose our wonder at exactly who God is. Right And I don't just mean you lost your fire that you had when you first got saved. I mean, sometimes we love Jesus at 830 and don't care about him at 1 p.m. Right Right when we have our time in the Word we're like, oh, Lord, you are so good. Bless his name. And then in, a, in an hour or two, we're disinterested. Even for some of us this morning, we woke up excited to praise Jesus, but by the time we dragged our kids out the door and got dressed, by the time we got here, we were too tired to be interested in Jesus. And when we do lose this interest in Jesus, it's not because he becomes any less glorious. It's just because we lose touch with reality. Our our eyes don't see as well. Our hearts get a little bit hardened. So you might say, yeah, that's me. I'm like that sometimes. But that's different than those Israelites. They had just seen God do something amazing. Of course they did. God did an incredible miracle on their behalf. They were doomed and then God delivered them. He had just shown his love to them in dramatic fashion. Of course they did that. And I'd ask you, has God not done anything miraculous on your behalf? Has God not delivered us from doom? Has God not showed his love to us in dramatic fashion? I'm reminded of the words of Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There has never been a greater act of miraculous, loving deliverance in the history of man than what God did in Christ at the cross. The fact that we were separated from this God because of our sin. The fact that we messed up our relationship with him. The fact that we did nothing but run away from him. The fact that we even insulted him by thinking if we went to church a few times, maybe he would like us more. The fact that while we were still messed up. Christ died for sinners. Christ paid the price for our sins. Christ took the sentence for the crimes that we committed against God, rose from the grave and called us to him. Said we could be forgiven of our sins. Even said that we won't ever have to stay dead. We'll be raised from the grave to reign forever with him. Is that not enough? Look, if you hear him, you don't know Jesus. That's what we're singing these songs about. This is why we're so excited. Because of what Christ Has done, And if you're a Christian here today, you always have reason to praise God for miraculous deliverance. As believers, we are always on the other side of the Red Sea. We're always looking back at the miraculous way that God delivered sinners like us. No matter what's going on in your life, I know a lot of us have a lot of tough things going on, and it doesn't feel like we just got delivered miraculously. But one of the greatest things we can do for ourselves is to intentionally focus on the greatest deliverance of all time, to intentionally remember what Christ did for us at the cross because it will always overshadow whatever's going on in life. This is why Paul can say these momentary trials, and you're like, I don't know about you, my trials don't feel like just momentary trials. Well, Paul had just start, you know, he talked about getting stoned and shipwrecked and beaten half to death so... You know, y'all are at least on the same level. And he calls them these like light momentary afflictions in comparison to the weight of glory that will be revealed to us. Right? So the only way we can really press through difficult times is if we do remember this miraculous deliverance, we always have reason to praise God. And music is one of the ways God has given us to express that and to recapture that. Sometimes we just need to sing true things until we remember that they're true. I know I'm not the only one who comes in here sometimes, and my mind's in a million different places, but I'll try to sing songs, and then I sing true things, and I'm reminded, right, when I feel guilty about things, and then we get to sing, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And to sing that over and over again, and it works its way into my hearts. the songs help me to celebrate what I know to be true. And we're so hard hearted that sometimes it takes 30 times to sing it before it sinks in, but it's good. Sometimes it takes hearing the rest of God's people sing it. And it's good for us. It's good for the world around us to hear us sing praises to our God. Because, like I said, most songs are praise songs. And. Songs we hear all day every day are in praise of sex and in praise of money and in praise of these things. Not that those are bad things, but in praise of them as if they're the ultimate things. We should not be ashamed for people to hear us sing praises to our God because he's greater than all of those things. So I hope people walk past here sometimes and they hear us singing praises to our God. But y'all got to sing a little bit louder for that to happen. Sometimes I wonder if the Israelites at the Red Sea would come in here like, do y'all care or no, right? because no, sometimes, sometimes I'll, I look, we're, we're a brand-new church, and so everything is new, e- even just our atmosphere of how we praise and how expressive we are. Sometimes people would be like, man, I just wanted to stand up and, and dance during that one. I was like, well, do it then, right? I mean, th- th- everything's brand new, so everyone's feeling a little awkward, like I don't know if I'm able to stand. Look, stand up, praise Jesus, be expressive. So I'm not saying that the only, some of us have come out of backgrounds where it's like, if you're not clapping and dancing, you don't love Jesus. Nobody's saying that. But let's not go the other direction. Like, I got to stay real still if Jesus is going to hear this. Nah, I mean, you, you, you could clap and you can sing loudly and you can express. This is family time. We're a family. And it's good for us to express our love and joy in Jesus together. Right? Amen. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I, I pray that you would get to know him. You can know him even now, and you can know the same joy. And even if you're not, we want you to keep coming. And we want to keep singing these songs and our joy in Jesus because we want you to know how great he is. All right. So that, that's the first thing. We can use music to celebrate God and his works. Celebrate God and his works. And that's the longest section because that's what I think we see the most. The second thing is we can use music to express pain and frustration. Use music to express pain and frustration. We, we all know that not every song is a, is a praise song. Some songs are there more to express certain feelings. They're feelings of joy, of course, but also feelings of pain and loss. We all know of some songs that grip our emotions in a unique way, right, that even may bring us to tears sometimes. And music can uniquely do that. I wonder if you ever notice in movies when someone's having a sad conversation, just kind of all of a sudden in the back of the violin music comes in, right? But it's because music has an emotion to it, right? And it tells you how you're supposed to feel about a particular moment. There's a, um, there are songs that I like to listen to sometimes that, that will point to particular kinds of weakness that are good for me to hear because they do help me to deal with those certain emotions, with pain and loss and difficulty and grief and trials, right? Half of all... Gospel music is about pain and trials and suffering, right? Because we can express that in our music. Or even current songs uh, on the radio, they they do the same thing sometimes too, like Rihanna and Kanye West's song, Four or Five Seconds. It's just like I'm on the edge of punching somebody. I'm so mad right now. Music can express that, right? It says, then I heard you talking trash. Hold me back. I'm about to spaz. That right, is expressing the kind of boiling point of anger that all of us are aware of sometimes. And some of y'all don't need to listen to that song because you're already mad. Don't listen to that. Okay? Don't do that. You always on the edge as is. You don't need encouragement in that, especially not from Yeezy. Okay, but what about in the Bible? Does the Bible give us space to express pain and frustration? Of course Especially during these times, music was often used as part of the grief process. Job 30, 31, Job says, my lyre, that's an instrument, is turned to mourning. And my pipe to the voice of those who weep. He's talking about using music as part of his grief process at everything that he's lost. Right? You, you even see Jesus as he goes through in the Gospels. You see people even in those times using music as, as part of funerals. So we have a psalm like Psalm 22 where David cries out to God about how he's forsaken and he's mocked and he's abandoned. And this is the very song that the Lord Jesus picks up and quotes when he's dying on the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So then, of course, we can use music to express pain and frustration. We see it in Scripture. And it may seem kind of depressing sometimes when you uh, just want to wake up and just read something encouraging before you start your day and you flip through the Psalms and you're like, Everyone hates me. Where you at, God? Like That might seem kind of depressing. And you may wonder, why would God put that in Scripture? Why should I read that? Well, one reason it should bring us comfort to run across psalms like that is because it's a reminder that we don't read an oblivious dead Bible. Right? That doesn't know anything about human struggle. Some people don't like Christians because we try to pretend like everything is okay all the time. No matter what's going on. Like, hey, man, um... How you doing? You're like, I'm all right, man. Like your house just burned down. I'm, I'm good, bro. I'm doing well. Praise God. It's okay not to be okay. And we see that very clearly in Scripture. The Bible's full of these honest expressions of, of grief and discouragement and disappointment and depression and pain. And one of the ways we can express those difficulties is with music. But you may say, okay, but how does that work into worshiping God? One of the things we'll see in these kind of songs with uh, lament in them is that there's always at the end, there's this acknowledgement that this is really hard. I really hate this, but God is still God. And those things aren't opposite of each other, right? This, things going bad doesn't mean that God isn't God. Right, And it lifts God up to say, God is still God even in the midst of this. One example is in Psalm 142. I'm going to read a lot of that. Psalm 142. This is a song of David. It was when he was in the cave fleeing. This is what it says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. and the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. So we can learn from the way that David prays, even as we think about expressing our grief and frustration, because David is actually airing his complaints to God. Right now, we know Scripture commands us not to grumble and complain, but here David shows us the right way to voice our complaints, because he doesn't grumble and complain against God like Israelites in the wilderness. He doesn't complain in a way that puts God's character into question or or puts him on trial. He actually does the opposite, right? As we see as we look in the psalm, David affirms God's goodness, right? So it's okay to air your complaints to God, but we do it with full confidence in him being God. It's okay to tell God you're having a rough time. But when we accuse God of being unjust, either out loud or in our hearts, that's when our complaining becomes sin. It's not a sin to say, hey, God, this is hard, but you're God, I need you to rescue me because they're worthless and you're everything, right? That glorifies God. It's like the difference between me calling the cops when someone breaks in and being like, y'all did this, blaming the cops, or calling the cops to help me out, to rescue me, to do something about it, right? I'm not accusing them. I'm calling them to my aid, and that's what God has called us to do with him. So that we see psalms and we see music and scripture expressing grief and frustration, but not in a way that questions God, in a way that worships God. And there's only room to worship God in this way when we have a God who knows and a God who cares and a God who can actually do something about it. And they praise God by acknowledging him in his proper praise. So I hope you know that it's okay to cry out to God in pain. So when you pray even about something that's difficult. It's good not just to say, hey, God, I'm having a hard time. Help me out. It's good to say, Lord, she's wearing on my nerves. And, Lord, I haven't been able to pay my bills for the past couple months, and this is hard. And, Lord, I'm still dealing with grief about my loss. It's good to pray those things and to tell God about it and to ask God to be God in the midst of those situations. It builds up our trust in God. It reminds us that God cares about those things, right? And he does. If any of you in here ever uh, seek to write songs or to encourage people to write songs, it's a good thing to write songs that express this kind of pain and grief and frustration because we're able to point to God in the midst of it. Anything that we write or we do, even in conversations with people, it's a good thing to acknowledge you're a real person with real issues and that God is still God in the midst of that. A lot of songs that uh, kind of new songs, worship songs. If you just listen through all of them, you think the fall never happened because they're all just very happy. Skipping with God in the fields. <laughs> I haven't cried in years. You know, it's just not real. But God doesn't desire for it to be like that, right? We need music that acknowledges pain and that acknowledges God as the sovereign God that he is. That's copyrighted. Don't steal that. (laughs) Right? Most people in our world don't know what to do with our suffering in Christ. We do. We take it to God. We take it to the one who suffered on our behalf. And we plead with him to be God for us. And, of course, we have... Songs that express other kinds of feelings. Of course, we have love songs. We have the whole song of Solomon. We have a random celebration of, of, uh, of David when David becomes king. He's so tall. He's so big. He's amazing, right? But we see a ton of these expressing these feelings of grief and frustration. Number three, so use music to uh, celebrate God and his works. Use music to express pain and frustration. Number three, use music to teach and encourage. Use music to teach and encourage. Both yourself and others. Many of us have had an experience where we've been going through a tough time, and music brings us comfort and consolation. Where there's a song that really helps us, that encourages us, makes us feel better. Well, scripture talks about music as a form of encouragement, too, not just for yourself, but also for others. So there's not a lot of things in the New Testament that we're commanded to do when we gather. And us as a church, we try to only do the things we're commanded to do when we gather. Preach God's word. Sing songs with and to one another. to Pray God's word. to Do the sacraments. Right? We try to stick to those things that Scripture's commanded us to do. But one of the very few things is that we're commanded to sing. And when the New Testament talks about corporate worship, it mostly talks about how, when it talks about music and corporate worship, it mostly talks about how we use it for others. So Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Now Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now I want you to notice that as he talks about this singing, it's addressing one another. We almost never think about singing when we come together as addressing one another. We normally only think about us just addressing God. Now, of course, we're singing songs to God, but we're also singing songs to one another. Isn't that beautiful? We've been commanded to do that. So sometimes when we come in to worship Jesus with songs, we close our eyes the entire time. And it's just you and Jesus. Like I'm just singing to Jesus just in a bigger room than I could at home. And the music's louder and it's live. But it's just me and Jesus. But scriptures called us to address one another in these songs too. So of course it's fine to close your eyes and to sing to Jesus, but we're also doing this together to encourage each other. Or Colossians three sixteen. Very similarly says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now Implications of this one clear one is that you can be encouraged by music. I talk to people all the time. I remember one conversation with a sister who's going through a really difficult time, struggling with depression, and she was saying there's some weeks when I just can't really bring myself to really read God's word. There's just so much going on in my mind. I can't focus. I can't even bring myself to do it. But what's really helpful is when I gather with God's people and I hear lots of God's people singing. And I hear them singing about the faithfulness of God that I couldn't bring myself to read about and the love of God that I couldn't bring myself to read about. And it's not just one person preaching from the pulpit. It's a bunch of people all singing to the same God, reminding me we're all in the same fight. We're all striving to love the same Jesus, and he's still Lord, and he's still good. Music can encourage us. So make sure you take advantage of that. You think about a lot of the songs that are, that are popular, I mean, they just drive home the goodness of Jesus. And and we want to sing songs like that. But you can also be led astray by music. You can be encouraged by it or led astray. This is where we need to be careful what we listen to, okay? We need to think carefully about the music that we listen to in our free time because music is powerful. It can encourage you. It can teach you worldviews and values and sometimes wrong ones. So we are worshipers at heart, and we will worship. For either good or for bad. And some music is going to lead us to worship the wrong things. So you got to know yourself. You got to know how music affects you. You got to know what kind of music affects you. There's one album that I liked and that I would listen to. But there was this one song that talked about sex in explicit detail. And I just cannot listen to that song. I just want to skip it every time. Because when I hear that, there's just no way that that's good for me to have this explained in explicit detail and for my imagination to go to the place that this artist was trying to take it. So I skip it. And we got to figure all of that out for ourselves. Music does have an effect on us. We want to think about encouraging others with music, right? When we come together, we want to sing to one another. If you listen to a song that's really encouraging to you, It's good to share that with somebody else. Sometimes songs speak in ways that if people uh, don't know, if people don't like to hear preaching. Sometimes it's a good idea to point them to songs. That's a good thing. Some of us should think really through what it means to actually be a part of a local church, to actually join a church so we can obey these commands. Because there is no one another that we've actually committed ourselves to, so we can't even obey this command to sing songs to one another. It's a command that God has called us to to commit ourselves to a particular church so we can do this, so we can obey this in the truest sense. As pastors and as the folks who sing and and deal with the music, we're going to do our best to choose our songs carefully for this reason because it's more than just a music set. This is for the edification of the saints. So even now, we try to choose the songs very carefully. Right? And we try to think about what songs can help people, and we're going to continue to. We're going to continue to add more songs. We're going to continue to think through what would benefit people the most, what serves people most. But we want these songs to build you up. We want songs that provoke praise in God. That's why we sing that You Alone Are God song. Right? We want to remember that God is faithful and that God is holy and what God has done for us in Christ. We want it to remind us. And there are some songs that are really repetitive, and sometimes that's good. There's some songs that are too repetitive, where the only words are like, you to bomb God, you to you to bomb God, right? That's not enough. We need a little more than that to provoke praise. But then there are some songs, that's just like a, a sermon with a little bit of melody, almost. It's like, oh, that's a little much too, and we, we, we want to find the balance, Right? So we're trying to choose songs that serve people best with good words and good melodies and bear with us as we do that. I want to take a moment just to praise God for the folks that help us with music every single week. Grateful for them. Because, Because it is a really big part of our worship of God, specifically together as a church, right? And so, you know, you'll notice we don't have someone playing keys or drums this week, and that's because we as a church know that the main thing God has called us to do with our music is to edify the saints so we can sing together. And so what's most important is that we can do that. And we're praying God would send us more musicians so that we can have musicians every single week. If you have any musical gifts and you're hiding them, I'm rebuking you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you to let us know so that you can serve. But what we're not going to do is spend, you know, 80% of our budget on musicians in the first year, we have so much stuff that we want to do to serve you guys and to love you guys and to reach our neighborhood. And we're not going to spend all the money just on musicians. So we want it to be really good in a way that's not distracting, right, in a way that allows you to go out and worship Jesus. And the folks who are serving are doing an incredible job. And, and we're going to continue to try to figure out how to do it and what serves people best. And again, if you have musical gifts, you should email me even now. Here's the thing, music that we sing that can encourage, we don't just have to wait till we come to church. I wonder if you ever sing songs at home with your family. That's a good way to encourage one another, even if you can't sing, right? Y'all can just encourage one another in the good words. I'm also not saying that you can only listen to or only benefit from worship songs. Right? There can be sometimes we can listen to other songs that help us to see a particular perspective, that help us to think about something better, or that's just a really good song. Stevie Wonder, Isn't She Lovely? That's a really good song right? they can serve us and bring us joy in different ways. But again, just think carefully about what you listen to. I, I have some specific advice for how to think through what other kind of music to listen to and what ways it can help you, but I only have so much time in this sermon, so if you want to hear more about that, come talk to me after or email me. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about Is number four, use music for your joy. Use music for your joy. It is a great thing that our culture has grabbed on a hold of music the way that it has, because it's a good thing. Joy is so connected to music that when you read the prophets, not singing is a sign of things not going good. Right? We see it in Lamentations 5, 14, and 15. It says the old men have left the city, the gate. And the young men have left their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. Ezekiel 26, 13 says, And I will stop the music of your songs. The sound of your lyre shall be heard no more as a sign of judgment. Music is connected to our joy in that way. And it's a good gift from God, and we should enjoy it. James 1 says really, really clearly. James 1 says... Every good and perfect gift is coming down from above from the father of lights with whom there is no change or shifting shadow, right? That every good and perfect gift is from God. Music is a good gift and it's from God. He's given it to us. So we should use it for our joy, right? If you gave someone a gift, and they was like, oh, I love this. Thank you so much. And they set it down on the ground and never looked at it again. You wouldn't feel honored by that. But what would honor you is, is if they looked at the gift and they enjoyed the gift and they used it regularly. Music is a gift God has given us for our joy. First Timothy 4, 4 to 5 says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. Music is one of those things created by God. It is good, and it's made holy by the way that we approach it. If We approach it in light of the word and praying that God would help us to honor him with it, right? It's a gift from God. So as we enjoy the gift, we want to use it in a way that honors the giver. And we can be in awe of creation in a way that honors the creator, like seeing a great painting, seeing the Mona Lisa and thinking, man, Leonardo da Vinci is the man. We can enjoy. I can listen to Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, and think, man, my God created that man who did this. Praise and honor be to him. Let's try to enjoy those gifts in those ways. Let's enjoy them with gratitude and awe. Let's see. Thank you, God. Forget. God didn't have to give us that. God didn't have to give us art, but he has. It's because he loves us and because he's good to us. Let's use it in a way that worships him. Music will be a part of your life. It is a powerful thing. So you want to use that power well to help you follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. And one of the ways we know how important music is is because we see over and over again. In the book of Revelation, one of the ways we'll praise God for all of eternity is singing to him. Worthy is the lamb who's worthy to open scrolls. Right. Holy, holy, holy is Lord. We will sing for all of eternity. We will sing songs to God. And one of the beautiful things about singing rather than just all just telling God random things is we can do it together with united hearts in praise of this glorious God. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do that one more time. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, and we thank you for the gift of music. And, God, we pray that even now, Father, as we uh, finish up our time worshiping you together this morning, uh, that you'd help us to use it to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.